Hello, podcasters. Teresa McBean here at North Star Community. And as usual, I'm here with my fellow co-pastor, Scott McBean, also at North Star Community. In the same room. Yep. We could do it from separate rooms if you wanted. Are we going to do it in separate rooms when I go to the lake? Well, no. We'll probably just plan in advance. We're, what? We're, we don't advance plan. Well, we have like, uh, we're like three ahead. Okay. So we can get caught up when you get back probably is what we'll, what we'll end up doing. Because we don't advance plan. Hmm. Cool. Well, I, uh, as usual, sound like a broken record, but um, I loved your message last weekend. Thank you. Uh, what were the dates of that would that weekend be? Because you seem to think people care about that. 16th and 17th of August. Okay. So you did the message on the 16th and 17th of August, and you really did. It turns out we're closing out our message on 1 John. Yes. Because I just ran out of steam for it, and we were in the last chapter. So this is going to be our last ever conversation about First John. Yeah, well, our original plan was for five weeks, and I'm pretty sure we did more than that. So I think we did. I think we... I Overshot think, the runway. Yeah, which is, which is a good thing. So you were talking out of First John 5, and I was wondering if there was any particular way you wanted to introduce or open up the topic to our listening audience? Well, other than, I mean, we're probably going to sound pretty repetitive because the book is pretty repetitive. Uh, It's talking about a lot of the same concepts over and over again and in slightly different ways or in slightly different contexts. Um, So maybe um, just in way of introduction, I'll just say that kind of what's going on here, and if you if you read too quickly, you might miss it, is um, you see the author of this book um, going back and forth between assuring people that they are loved and accepted by God and encouraging them um, to love God's creation very deeply, we might say. Right. And so um, when you're just looking at a given passage um, and you're not seeing that back and forth, um I think it is easy to be shamed by certain things, but I think it's also easy to end up having a lot of questions. I mean, there are these assurances that people are loved and accepted by God, um, but then what are the circumstances under which we stay loved and accepted by God? And this is a question we explore all the time, and we've tried to do it from many different angles, because no matter what we say, it's, it is something that people struggle to believe. But I think that Maybe maybe in the way of kind of a long-winded, babbly introduction, people back then maybe were not quite so different from we are in this way. Yeah. Um, is that there is this struggle to believe, like, okay, am I doing enough with my life in order to um, stay in God's group, as it were? Right. You were worried about doing this message. You said to me on Saturday night you thought it might be not such a great message, but it really uh, got our crowd going and having a good, lively conversation, and they did have a lot of questions. So I think sometimes for you and I, it feels like what we're talking about is very repetitive, but I believe that if what we're talking about is pertinent, the repetition is necessary. Yeah. 
So we started with the question, when do you struggle to love? Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, to go back to what I just said, um, we are told in this book over and over again that we are to love like God. And so then there's always this lingering question of what if we don't do that? You know, I mean, and there's this there's this whole conversation about living in the light versus living in the darkness. And we've tried to unpack that and we've tried to unpack it in pretty nuanced ways. Um, but no, again, no matter how much unpacking we do, we end up with these questions. And so um, that's uh, kind of where I wanted to start. And I'll say more about why I wanted to start there when we get to the passage itself. But we started with this conversation. What are the circumstances under which you struggle to love? What are the kinds of people you struggle to love? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if there is anything from that conversation that still uh, stands out to you several days later. Um, no one had trouble answering the question. Mm-hmm. We got off to a little bit of a slow start on Sunday, but on Saturday, yeah, uh, we started off strong and and very clear. Do you remember anything in, in the in particular that's worth revisiting? Well, I think there were the obvious things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, struggle to love people that have hurt us. Yep. Um, struggle to love ourselves. Um, just a really long list. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of some specific examples as well. Um, the bottom line is, I mean, I think there was a common theme and I was sort of glad that it came out, you know, which is that, um, oftentimes we struggle to love when we are mistreated, right? right? Like you just said a minute ago. And um, one of the things, um, you know, um, one of the things we talked about is that sometimes this happens directly and sometimes it happens indirectly, right? Like as my mother, sometimes you have hurt my feelings and then I struggle to love you in response and vice versa. It's It works the other right. way as, around as well. So sometimes you struggle to love a person, a specific person who has caused a specific harm. And sometimes it's more, more often, it's much more broad and general than that, right? Like we have woundings, we have been hurt, we have undergone whatever we've experienced and undergone in life that has dragged us down. Uh, It then sort of clouds our vision for being a person who can see what it looks like to be a loving presence in the world and then um, pursue that, right? So... Um, being mistreated, um, our struggle to love, I think what I said in the message is our struggle to love doesn't come from nowhere. It comes often from things that have happened to us that are of no fault of our own. And our reactions to that are our responsibility. Absolutely. Nobody's trying to shirk responsibility here. But I think it's significant and okay to say, hey, uh, we do have struggles, and they they aren't contextless, you know? Well, and I think also that point, although I don't think you explicitly said this over the weekend, but remember that we have also been harping on this idea that honesty is living in the light, Yep. not loving well. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like both of those things at once. You try to love well, you know you're going to fail, and when you do... You are honest about it, and that's what keeps you in the light. Right. 
you um, have encouraged the crowd, and I think I have too when I did my messages, to say that living in the light is um, all about bringing out into the light, into your safe people group, your hut, your community, uh, the things that you're ashamed of. Yep. Um, so that that allows your community uh, to uh, be supportive as you as you work through those kinds of things. So I thought that was an important um, point that you that you also brought forth. Making this big long list of people we struggle with to love is part of being in the light. Yeah, because, um, and I think we had a little bit of a hard time getting there in one of the conversations. I can't remember which one, but um, the idea is if we're trying to be loving people, um, what happens when we're not? And how much unlovingness is okay, right? I mean, those are kinds of the questions that you start asking is like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be a loving person. I know part of living in the light is attempting to reflect God's love to the world around me. I'm not going to do that all the time. Okay, nobody's going to do that all the time. We get that. Um, but there's got to be a threshold, right? Right, right. And so what is this threshold? You know, like where do we, um, where do we cross the line from living in light and living in darkness. And I think confession is the thing. There isn't a line, right? There, the reality is there is no way to, to pinpoint, okay, here's when we cross from light to darkness. Right. But it's confession that keeps us away from the line because confession, confession keeps us looking inward. And if we're looking inward, then we are act, actively trying to move towards love even when we fail, right? I mean, there's, um, I can think of a, um, you know, I can think of an example of one particular person in my life who I won't name who um, has failures to love all the time but is very apologetic about it mm -hmm. and is very willing to examine self. Mm -hmm. And... To me, uh, I have no trouble forgiving under those circumstances um, because it never feels like that that person is trying to take advantage of the, of the grace, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so um, you could easily imagine a scenario where another person does the exact same behavior, right? But you get the impression that it's disingenuous. Right. And you know that that's something that's more like living in darkness as opposed to living in light. Right. And um, so that's why it's really hard to suss this stuff out. But, I mean, the bottom line is confession is the key, but not just confession. It's like confession coupled with um, the genuine desire to be loving even when we fail. So I, I don't know what you were thinking when you made that point to start out with. So we've talked... For, we've used a lot of words, but you you were starting out with this idea that you know um, confession is the key. You know yep. that uh, I remember what I wanted to say. You started out with this thing that said it being hard to love didn't just come from nowhere. It usually mm -hmm. comes from our wounds or uh, from past experiences. You know. Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was a very comforting point. Um, but, and I know this isn't your central point, but I want to like highlight this one little verse that was in here that you're not even going to talk about. 
I don't think, when you get to it. Um, but in the verse that you went over, you started at 3. Uh, you went over 1 John 5, 3, and 4. Yep. And here's what verse 3 says. It says, uh, this is love for God to obey his commands, mm-hmm. which could be very shaming if you haven't put this within the context of the whole book. Right. And his commands are not burdensome. Yep. And so that example you gave of being in and doing life with somebody who has love fails all the time, but has also taught you that they're teachable, that they're really sorry, it seems sincere to you, that's not burdensome being in relationship with that person. Right. And that is a perfect example of what we're talking about here. Yep. The command is to love, but it's not a commandment that comes from a burdensome place because of the whole context of 1 John. Right. So let's continue on because you went on. The part that really intrigued you was the next verse, which was like this. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Um, And so that was the verse that really jumped out at you. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Yeah. So tell me what about that verse that was so compelling to you? Um, Well, I guess I... um you know, I, I get intrigued by unusual phrases, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so um, the idea of overcoming the world caught my eye. And I'm not sure that, you know, I've read First John quite a lot in recent years for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Um, no specific reason other than I, I find myself drawn to it. But um, did not find myself thinking too much about what it means to overcome the world. And um, it stuck out to me this time just because it's an odd turn of phrase. And um, in part, it it caught my eye because we'd had this whole conversation a few weeks earlier about what is the world in First John's language. Because I remember, and, and I addressed that specifically because I had taught out of First John once a number of years back, and somebody said, why am I supposed to hate the world? I like the world, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so we addressed that question a few weeks ago to say, for First John, the world is uh, akin to living in darkness. Okay, well, what does it mean to live in darkness? Well, it means to run from the truth that we rely on God. Um, it means um, a failure to confess the ways in which we, we don't live out our way of seeing. Not, it's not our failure to live out of our way of seeing. It's our failure to recognize our inability to live out of our certain way of seeing. Mm-hmm. And um, in addition, it looks like hating a brother or sister in First John's language. And hating a brother or sister was defined as something like, and maybe you have the language there, if you see someone in need and you don't help them. Right. Something, something to that effect is in there, right. in right. in mid to late four. Right. And so I thought, well, um, and this came up in the message as well. Uh, a lot of times when you talk about hate in a group, somebody will say, "I've had this experience a number of times." Hate's a strong word. 
Hmm. Yes. And, um, um, okay, maybe, but the way the Bible uses it, it's not as strong as you'd think, but it's just as convicting. Right. Right. So if you see someone in need and you don't help them, if that's a form of hatred, then we should be asking ourselves the question, what else might be a form of hatred? Right, exactly. Because it tends to be that when we think about hate, for some reason, all we tend to think about is, I wish somebody were dead, or yeah. I wish they, or um, I wish they would die in a horrible way. Right, right. Now, I've done that. A pox upon them. Yes. Yeah. I've had that feeling. There's no question that I've had that feeling. I'm not above that feeling. But the, the real issue for me is how far below that feeling do we go and still qualify as people who hate? Right, right. Uh, because I don't, I don't have that feeling on a regular basis. But that doesn't mean that I'm a person who cannot be convicted by these verses. Right. And so I started to think, you know, and a few months back I had told a story about a friend that I had um, stopped being a friend to. And um, this was a person who had hurt me, not on purpose, but it had happened. And um, I started thinking, you know, if you, if simply not giving somebody something that they need is a form of hatred, then is failing to extend friendship to somebody who's proven to be a friend a form of hatred? And um, you concluded yes. Well, and the crowd you know, really gave you a lot of pushback on it. I did. I got some pushback on that. Um, I didn't necessarily conclude yes. I think my point was that that's a question worth wrestling with. Mm-hmm. And I and I said and I you know I said in the in the service you know you can yeah for me I I decide yes I do but I'm like you can look at your own life and look at circumstances that are roughly equivalent and decide yes or no for yourself. Yes, but the crowd didn't really want to even accept that you decided that for you. Yeah. Which I found so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, it pointed out to me yet again as I sat there, the experience was very um, – what is the word? Moving, I guess in that convicting because confession is a really uncomfortable thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw all the love and the grace and the mercy in everybody wanting to say, hey, you're you're a good guy, you know. Yeah. I, I loved that. I thought it was very sweet. It is. And at the same time, I thought it was very uh, indicative of how hard what we're being called to do in First John really is. Yes, and it misses, uh, in my opinion, the most comforting part of First John. Yeah. And the most comforting part of the gospel in general. And um, because... You know, for better or worse, for all my trying and failing, I think I'm a person who really tries to live out of my certain way of seeing. You do. I don't get it right. Uh, I don't. I couldn't put a number on it, right? But I mean, like, I understand that I fail at it often. 
And so as much as I appreciate people comforting me in my inability to live out of my certain way of seeing, the reality is what's being taught here is that this is not a problem for God. Right. So so often we think that our inability to live out of our certain way of seeing is a problem for God. Therefore, we're paralyzed, or we give up on faith, or we give up on God, or we live in shame, or we live in fear, or we live in blame. Or denial. Or denial. Yeah. Right? And I mean, these are, these are the options available. But what if God calls us to a high standard, but our inability to live up to that standard is not a problem, if we're honest? Right. Right. You know, the qualifier is if we're honest, not if we fail. Right. And um, so, you know, I beat myself, I legitimately beat myself up over this form of hatred of the inability to be a friend to somebody who needs a friend who's been a friend to me. Right. Um, yet I rely on and trust God to carry me. Right. I mean, that is like in First John 1, living in the light is about acknowledging your inability to live out of your certain way of seeing. And rely and part two was relying on God to be God. Right. And this is what it means to rely on God to be God. It means that our lack of goodness is not a problem for God because we rely on God to be good, not ourselves. Yes. And that in the in that He He um He does what we can't. Yes. He He covers for us in a way, not hides us, but uh, finds a way to do what we can't. You know, it occurs to me, and I don't know um, at what point we I, I went off the rails, but it occurs to me that I never explained what overcoming the world meant. I don't think we finished that conversation, did we? I, well, I thought your closer explained it. Okay, well, we can transition that way. But we had talked about, I think I got off on this thing about talking about what the world was, according to First John. Right. Uh, but overcoming the world, okay, to return to that, just to close the loop, um, I guess I need to say I'm sorry to everybody for the confusing nature <laughs> and the confusing way this is playing out. I think the conversation... I, I think after they heard your confession, they didn't listen to the rest of it anyway, so I, I don't I, think it's a problem. I think the conversation <laughs> probably was interesting enough, or at least I was engaged in enough that it'll be okay. But So if we think of the world as um, a refusal to acknowledge... Uh, the truth about ourselves, our inability to live out of our certain way of seeing, the refusal to rely on God, and the hatred of a brother or sister, then overcoming the world is overcoming those things. Right. And I think in particular, the thing mentioned in the book most recently is the hatred piece. And so the overcoming the world is the overcoming of hatred. Right. And so I give this example of myself and my own form of hatred. And being a person who hopes he's born of God means that I've overcome that. Well, how have I overcome that if I haven't really overcome it? You know what I mean? How have I overcome it if I'm still not quite being a friend to a person who needs a friend? And it's overcome because of God's goodness. Right. Um, and it may not be, I don't quite know how to make that concrete. 
other than to know that as, as a general rule, as a person, I have joined God's community, and God's community on the whole um, is a group of people who have overcome hatred, even though we may see examples of it in our lives. But this is what we are moving towards. Um, Martin Luther King had the best quote about that. Okay. Um, and it went something like, um, you know, it was, oh gosh, we'll, uh, we'll have to put it up somewhere so people can see it. But that's what he was talking about. He said, overcoming the world is, uh, if you, if you hurt me, if you punish me, I will overcome the world by enduring the suffering yeah. that your pain causes. It's just a beautiful quote. I believe that Richard Rohr quoted it today in his um, in his blog, which is August twentieth. Twentieth. So if you get Richard Rohr's blog, Contemplative Outreach. Uh, I think today's the day he quoted it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful quote. And I think that's what you're talking about. You gave an example um, that I loved for your closing. So don't forget to share that with the bloggers. I mean, with the <laughs> the bloggers. With the podcasters. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say it right now. Uh, I, I think first, you know, um, one of the things that I said leading up to it is that it's not my work to strive to be better. Because God doesn't expect us to be better. He expects us to be honest and to rely on God to be good. Mm -hmm. And so then what does it mean to rely on God to be good? Well, I think about it like this, right? I mean, like the world is often a competition of hatred upon hatred upon hatred. Uh, and I think that quote that you just gave speaks to it is like if the world is constantly in a kind of battle, then removing oneself from the battle is a way of overcoming hatred. Right. Um, but this is this is the... And, and by removing, you don't mean withdrawing from the fight and going to a monastery. You mean refusing to retaliate. Yeah, I mean refusing to retaliate and refusing to fight in a violent way. I mean, right. I think there are peaceful ways of fighting. Yeah. So it reminded me of an old expression... Um, one that, that many people probably heard in their childhood, which is, it doesn't matter who started it, I'm going to end it. Right? I mean, right. you've got a couple of children who are quarreling. Uh, hey, cut it out. He started it. She started it. I don't care who started it. I'm going to end it. And that means, generally, the belt is coming out. Some kids are going to get slapped around, uh, put in time out. They're not going to get, they're going to get sent to bed without dinner at six o'clock in the afternoon or something. Um, it seems to me that um, God is the kind of God who says, I don't care who started it, I'm going to end it. But he has a very different kind of ending in mind that doesn't involve a belt. Because we're unsure whether or not he really wears a belt all the time. Right. Uh, I can't wait to find that out, though. That's my first question. And if he did wear a belt, he wouldn't use it the way that, that phrase would imply. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter to God who started it. He's going to end it. And that ending looks like gathering all people together and teaching them a new way of being so that everyone may feel his love. 
Mm-hmm. Right? It's the exact opposite kind of ending to this one that perpetuates the violence. Because if you're a parent who says, I don't care who started it, I'm going to end it, and you end the fight with a fight, what does that teach? Right. Um, and have so, you really ended it at that point, or right. have you just perpetuated it? Yes, in the long run, you've definitely perpetuated it. And so with God, he's saying, um, I see your way of being, and I'm going to teach you a new way of being that allows all of us to feel my love, which means that all of us are going to be able to thrive. And so that is what my hope is in, and that is, to me, what it means to rely on a God who overcomes the world. Um I mean, in this context, it's not an, an individual person who's overcoming the world at a moment in time. It's, it's the idea that faith on the aggregate overcomes the world, overcomes hatred. Um, and so we are relying on a God who is much bigger than ourselves, much bigger than the world, in a sense, uh, to be good through gathering us together um, and in this way to overcome hatred. Yeah, I don't remember if you remember saying this or not, but at one point you said, I, my hope is found in the uh, the belief or the conviction that God will be good through me. Yes. And um, even more accurately, I think, this idea that God will be good through us. Yeah. Um, which really speaks to the... Um, solemn um, responsibility and duty of being part of a community of faith. It does. Uh, I know that's not cool anymore. Um, I've had more than one person tell me that their church is on the golf course. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've often wondered, do you cuss in church? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I thought this was a, a, a solid ending to a small but powerful book yep. that has a lot to say to us about what it means to live in the light. Yes. Very hopeful message. Yeah. With high standards. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to wrap up. But before, but before we do that, uh, we are going to give you our recommendations for the week. Why do we do this? I don't know. We just started doing it at one point, and it seemed like a, a thing of, to keep doing. It's a lot of pressure. It seemed like something fun to do. And yeah. so anyway, you it's said... It's fun as long as I remember to do it. Yeah. But well, I remembered. I remembered. Okay. So what do you have? Uh, mindful.org. Okay. Tell us about it. It is a great little website. It has short videos, articles, and uh, meditation recommendations. And it's just a lovely little thing. And you can click it on your favorites button, and it sits right up there and reminds you to go out and check it so that you can be mindful of being mindful. There you go. Mindful.org. Well done little website, and I highly recommend it. Uh, Since he recommended a website, I'm going to recommend a website. Uh Uh-oh. eBay.com. What? ElectronicBay.com. Uh, let me tell you, uh, a lot of people don't think to use eBay in the ways that I've been using it lately. <laughs> which I'm scared is, to ask. You can find, you know, I'm a person who likes nice things. I know. But you also know that I'm a person who hesitates to spend money. True. Meet eBay. 
eBay is the place where you can find nice things for not a lot of money, and specifically clothes. So you can find, you know. I am not down with this recommendation. Look, I know. Some, I get my clothes in a box too. It's called hey, Stitch Fix. You know what? <laughs> I have bought used clothes on eBay and been perfectly content to wash them and then wear them. If you're not comfortable with that, guess what? There is a condition. So there, there's when you search for a given item, you can check the condition. There's new inbox, new with tags, new not inbox, pre-owned, and then, you know, yada, yada, yada. There's a few more options, I think. Unbelievable. So you can you can look for the new inbox. You can look for the new with tags, and that just means somebody bought it, never bothered to return it. Now they're past their return date, whatever. You'd be shocked at the kinds of things that you can get or things that are discontinued that you'd, that you'd like to get that you can't find in stores anymore. Uh, I'm finding all new ways to use eBay all the time. All right. You don't buy used shoes, do you? Because that's just gross. Uh, no, I, no, I've not bought used shoes, I don't Good, think. because I think you shouldn't do that. Yeah. The shoe conforms to other people's feet. Yeah, I don't think I've done used shoes. I've definitely looked for new with tags, old shoes before. Okay. Yep. Well, fine. I'm still sticking with mindful.org. Okay. Well, um, the music that you're hearing below our voices that is either starting now or started before, I don't know. I haven't decided yet As the, uh, at the moment that we are recording this. It's from Blue Dot Sessions. You can find Blue Dot Sessions on the web at sessions.blue. They provide royalty-free music. You hear it on all kinds of podcasts. I was listening to Hi-Fi Nation recently, and they use Blue Dot Sessions. So... Anyway, we appreciate are you, them. Are you suggesting that we're cool because we use Blue Dot Sessions? Uh, no, I'm suggesting Blue Dot Sessions is cool by creating uh, royalty-free music that people like us can use without having, without you know, having to give up an arm and a leg or whatever the expression yeah. is. Well, we appreciate that. Uh, we are North Star Community. We're a part of North Star Community anyway. You can find us on the web at northstarcommunity.com. You can lead more. You can learn more about our campaign for Richmond, which is currently underway at leadthewayrva.org. This is an effort to involve small businesses in the work of battling substance use in our area. Um, and in closing, we really appreciate you listening. We will be back soon.